John chapter 9. The title of this sermon today is When God is at Work. And we're actually going to finish John 9. It's really just one long story. And so we're going to pick it up at uh, verse 8, John, John 9, verse 8. And we will read all the way through verse 41. Uh, this is honestly just a great story. This John, as a, as a storyteller, just does a masterful job. There's humor, there's surprise, there's heartbreak, there's fear, there's worship. This is just a great story. So uh, let's enjoy the word of God as, as we just read God's word together. Just as a reminder, verse one, Jesus sees a blind man and he heals him. And the disciples get in a conversation with Jesus about, about, about whose fault it was that this man was born blind. And Jesus says, no, listen, this isn't about whose fault. This is that the works of God would be displayed. And so Jesus heals the man. He, he puts dirt on his eyes and he, he sends them to the pool of Siloam. And, and then he comes back. And so we pick up and the drama really picks up in verse eight. So let's, let's look at that together. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, it is he. Others said, no, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, then how were your eyes opened? He answered, The man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, where is he? He said, I do not know. They brought him to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, he put mud on my eyes and I washed and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. So again, they said to the blind man, what do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? He said, he is a prophet. The Jews did not believe he had been blind and received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but how he now sees, we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him, he is of age, he will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he is of age, ask him. Verse 24. So for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, give glory to God. We know this man is a sinner. 
He answered, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I have told you already and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And they reviled him saying, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, why this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from. And yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, you were born in utter sin. And would you teach us? And they cast him out. Verse 35. Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And having found him, he said, do you believe in the son of man? He answered, and who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say, we see, your guilt remains. Jesus, we thank you for your word. Spirit of God, we thank you that we can open your word and hear from the living God, the perfect, infallible, inerrant life giving, life-sustaining, restoring, reviving, faith-building word of God. Where else would we go? You, Jesus, have the words of life. And Lord, we need your word. We need you. We need to hear from you. And so give us ears to hear it and eyes to see and believe, Lord. I I pray, God, if there are any who are in blindness, that through your word, they would would hear and get a glimpse of the glory and majesty of Jesus and that spirit of God, you would save them, that you would open their eyes. Lord, I pray for those who are coming to study your word today, who are weary, who are weak. Um, Lord, even feel cast out, rejected, Jesus, you are their good shepherd. You are a good shepherd. And so would you come and strengthen and care for us, your sheep, through your word today. 
and spirit of God above all, like you did to this man, would you help us to behold Jesus? Help us behold the person and the power and glory and majesty of Jesus. We want to see Jesus. Give us eyes to see again. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, 3,000 years ago, the people of God were living in Samaria. It was the capital of Israel at that time, and they were under siege. The army of Syria came and surrounded that city. It cut off all supplies. There was no food. They were running out of water. And things were so desperate that one day the king was walking along the wall and a woman cried out to him. And she told the king a story about a, another woman and they each had two babies. And, and the woman said, we're so hungry today. Let's kill your baby and we'll eat that baby. And tomorrow we'll kill my baby. And we'll eat, and then we'll eat my baby tomorrow. And, and, and so they killed that one woman's baby and they ate the baby. And then the next day, the, the woman said, okay, let's kill your baby. And she said no, and she refused. And this woman who had just killed her own baby and eaten her own child was crying out to the king, king, do something. We are so desperate. And the king just seeing the state of his people was utterly overwhelmed. And he did what a good king would do and he, he, he sent for the prophet. He needed to hear from God. And at that time, Elisha was the prophet. And this is, this story is in 2 Kings chapter seven and they sent for Elisha and Elisha came to the king and, and he actually had a, a word of encouragement that God would deliver his people. And Elisha said, he said, tomorrow, O king, he said, a sea of flour will be sold for a shekel. God will provide so abundantly. That's the equivalent of, of about 10 pounds of flour would be sold for about 50 cents. Now the king had a commander next to him and the commander with his tongue in cheek laughed and said, if God almighty opened the heavens above and rained down food all from the storehouses of heaven, that would be impossible. Even if God himself opened heaven, things are so desperate. There is no, there's no, he, he just uttered his unbelief. There is no possible way. That that, that that could ever happen. And Elisha turned to that man and said, it will happen. But as a judgment on you, you will not enjoy a single bite of that food God is gonna provide. And the next day, uh, the story picks up and there's these four lepers and they're living outside the gate. And they, they wake up in the morning and they look out and that army that had been surrounding the people of God 
was gone. And, and the text says that God let that army hear. They thought they heard the sound of an army to rescue them. And, and they abandoned all of their food and all of their gear. And they just ran away. As far as the eye could see, there was just the spoils of war before them. And they reported it to the king. And, and that same commander was standing at the gate. And as the people rushed out to enjoy the spoils, that commander was trampled dead. And what seemed absolutely impossible was possible with God. Now, Christianity, the truths that we see in the scriptures, has this element to it that seems, if we're honest, just too good to be true. That God who created everything would become a man and that he would take the sins of his people on the cross and he would die. But, but the impossible happened that he would rise again and that if anyone would simply believe in him, they would not perish, but when they die, they will rise again and have everlasting life. They will live forever in a new kingdom, a new earth with no more death or suffering or evil or sin. And they will have eternal joy forever. It seems too good to be true. It's the stuff of fairy tales. It's the ending that is too good to be true in the fairy tales and they lived happily ever after. There, there's this element in this book of, can this be true? Is God really gonna come again and make everything right and wipe every tear from every eye? Is that really going to happen? Now in our text this morning, in this story, of a man born blind has this, this element in it of, is this really, tr could this be true? And we see the, the religious leaders, the pastors of that day, the Bible teachers, the Bible scholars, the ones who knew everything that was written in the Old Testament. We see them not believe what is so clear before their eyes. They cannot believe what they are seeing as they see the works of God being displayed in this man. And so how we're gonna study this text is we're gonna just walk through this story one more time and, and we're gonna notice, we're gonna see three, three ways Three, three ways that we'll, we can see the works of God displayed in this man's life. We're gonna, we're gonna say, how, how do you, what does it look like when the kingdom of God breaks into someone's life? What does it look like when, when God is displaying his works in a man? And these things, 
um, are rejected by the Pharisees, but there's a man in this story who receives these things and we see the works of God displayed in his life. And so the first evidence of the work of God in someone's life is simply straightforward obedience to Jesus. It is simple, straightforward obedience to Jesus. Look with me again at verse 8 through 17. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said it is he, others said no, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, then how were your eyes opened? He answered, the man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. And here's a key phrase. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, where is he? He said, I do not know. So they brought the Pharisees, they brought to the Pharisees, the man who had formerly been blind. And it was Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, he put mud on my eyes and I washed and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who was a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. So again, they said to the blind man, what do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? He said, he is a prophet. Now, we simply see here a man who was told by Jesus, I want you to go to that pool that is called scent. I want you to wash this mud out of your eyes. The man didn't ask any questions. The man didn't say, but, but what is that gonna do? The man didn't say, but, but Jesus, I'm blind. He simply obeyed. He was sent by Jesus to the pool called sent and he simply obeyed Jesus. And we see that that obedience, that simple, straightforward obedience is a, is a demonstration of faith we see that God is working trust in his heart. That whatever Jesus says, I will do. True obedience always comes from that internal faith. And so that man heard that command and he went. Now, simple, straightforward obedience is often not so simple when we are trying to follow Jesus. Sometimes we think, well, Jesus, did you really mean that? Jesus, what is that gonna do? What is that gonna change? Jesus, what about my circumstances? You know, uh, one, one area that often gets in the way of our simple, straightforward obedience to Jesus is our own pride. We think we know better. We think it's, we, we, may, we complicate it. We think, it, we think our own wisdom can, can, can find a solution to the problem we're facing than just the, what the, the Bible says. You know, there's a man also in the days of Elisha. 
His name was Naaman, and he was the commander of an army as well. And Naaman had leprosy. And incredibly, Naaman had a, a servant girl, a slave, and she, she grew up in Israel and she knew about Elisha. And one day this man was in agony over his disease and, and that servant girl said, said, Master, I know of a man. If you go to Israel where God dwells, there is a prophet there and maybe he will be used by God to heal you. And so Naaman so desperate. He gathers all this money and these gifts and he goes to uh, the land of Israel. Now in his pride, he doesn't go look for the prophet. He goes to the king because he thinks, well, surely I'm just going to go to the most important man in that nation. And he goes to the king and he says, I heard about your God king. I need you to heal me. And the king says, who am I to heal you? He says, I'm just the man. Go to the prophet. And so Naaman goes to the prophet and a servant of Elisha comes out to greet him. And, and uh, the, Naaman says, I need to speak to the prophet. And, and, the, pro, and the, the servant delivers a message that says, listen, I already have the message from God for you. And Naaman's offended because the prophet didn't even come out to speak to him. But, but the message said, I need you to go to the Jordan River and you need to wash in that river seven times and you'll be healed. Now, Naaman, in his pride, took great offense. And he says, what's so special about the Jordan River? We have better rivers where I come from. Why do I need to go to the Jordan River? And why isn't the prophet coming? And he was angry. And in his pride, he almost didn't wash. But finally, he was just so desperate that he goes and he washes seven times. And because God overcame his pride and he was finally willing to just simply obey the words of God, he was healed. See, so often our own pride keeps us from straightforward obedience. But the evidence of the work of God in someone is they say, whatever you say, God, I will do. I will obey you. I'll love my enemies. I'll pray for those who persecute me. I'll abstain from that temptation. I'll be faithful to you. And so let's just even right now take a moment just to pause and ask the spirit of God, God, where, where do I need to just simply obey you? Where am I neglecting straightforward, simple obedience? God, would you work in my life? Would you display the works of God in and through me by simply leading me to obey you where I need to obey you? Now, the second evidence of the work of God in someone's life, as we see in this man, is boldness for Jesus. Boldness for Jesus. I love I love this truth and I love how we see this man grow in boldness for Jesus. We'll pick it up at verse 18. The Jews did not believe that he had been born blind and he had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, 
We know that this is our son and that he was born blind. But how he now sees, we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him, he is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he is of age, ask him. Now notice this man did not get his boldness naturally from his parents. His parents did not display boldness for Christ. They were fearing man. But notice when the work of God is evidenced in someone's life, look, look what happens as this man responds. Verse 24, so for the second time, they called the man who'd been blind and said to him, give glory to God. We know this man is a sinner. Now pause there. That expression, give glory to God, is, is an expression found in Joshua 7. When Achan was caught with a, a hidden treasure under his tent, and he was revealed by Lot and Joshua came to Achan and said, Achan, give glory to God and, and confess your sin. And what, what, what he's saying there is, we know you're caught, but you have an opportunity right now to give glory to God by speaking the truth. And so the Jews used this same expression, give glory to God, confess, tell us the truth. But look how wrong they are. Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. Ironically, they are not giving glory to God because they are so wrong about Jesus. And I think it's worth pointing out that there can be people who are earnest in, in their desire to give glory to God as they understand him, yet be dead wrong. That's a possibility in every other religion besides Christianity. And it's even a possibility within the church. People can be so earnestly believing what they're believing and thinking they are serving the purposes of God, but be utterly wrong. And so they say, give glory to God. We know this man is a sinner. Now look at verse 25. Look at the answer of this man. Look as he grows in boldness for Jesus. He answered, whether he is a sinner I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. Notice this man begins with a simple, bold testimony. He's saying, I don't know a lot about this man yet. I I just got healed by him. I don't know a lot, but I can tell you what I do know. And I just want to say to you, you may not know all there is to know about Jesus. Your theological knowledge may be small, but but if you have been rescued by Jesus and if the work of God is, is evidenced in your life, you can simply share what you do know. That though you were dead in your sins and hated God and went your own way and you thought the Bible and Christianity and church was boring, something happened to you. That though you used to be spiritually blind, those blinders fell off and now you see and you see Jesus and you see the beauty in him and what he has done for you. 
We all must be ready to give that kind of testimony whenever it comes up. Listen, I don't know all the answers to all the problems in the world or all your theological questions, but I know this, that I was blind and now I see. So verse 26, they said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I have told you already and you would not listen. What? Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? He's being a little sarcastic here. So verse 28, they reviled him saying, you are his, his disciple, but we are the disciples of Moses. We know God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from. And yet he opened my eyes. We all know God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began, has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind? If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, you were born in utter sin and would you teach us? And they cast him out. Now this man was a simple man. He was a beggar. He was not theologically trained like Peter and John who were confronted by the same religious leaders to stop speaking about Jesus. This man didn't, didn't know a lot, but it, it became very evident that this man had been with Jesus. And that is the evidence of the work of God in your life, that you grow in boldness to speak truth the truth about Jesus, the truth about spiritual blindness of the whole world, our own spiritual blindness and the ability of Jesus to heal us. Now we see there's great temptations to keep us from being bold for Jesus. It may be the fear of man, like his parents. We may, we may fear people and their opinions more than we fear God. But remember, we're gonna, this life is a vapor and we will stand before God one day. And God will prove to be much bigger and more important than all the opinions of people combined. The Bible says the fear of man is a trap. We can't live to please people. We can't, we can't live to try and make people happy. We also see here a temptation to be on in the in crowd. The, the parents didn't want to be kicked out. They didn't want to be cast out of the synagogue. That had great uh, spiritual, but also social and economic implications. And so they weren't willing to be bold for Jesus. But this man recognized like Moses did, it would be better to be kicked out of society if he had Jesus than to have all the riches of society without him. Hey, if Jesus is kicked out of the synagogue, you can kick me out too. 
This man did not want to be a part of any group or club or organization or social status if Jesus wasn't there. And so this man, though his knowledge was small, was bold for Christ. And I want us to notice before we look into the third evidence of the work of God in our life, I want us to notice something about Jesus here. Because we see in verse 34, this man was rejected and it ends and it says, and they cast him out. He is officially excommunicated from that synagogue. He could not worship. But look at verse 35. Jesus heard that they had cast him out and having found him, He said, do you believe in the son of man? Now this man was cast out for Christ. But in the very next verse, we see Jesus looking for him. That expression found him, it has a um, great intent behind it. Jesus was looking for him. When he heard he was cast out. Jesus, like a, like a shepherd looking for his sheep, came and sought that man out. And just as we saw in the very beginning of this chapter, as Jesus saw that man, as Jesus sees and knows you in your circumstances, and struggles and fears and pains. So in our moment of utter rejection, in our lowest moments, in the moments when our families, in our communities, and even our churches may cast us out, Jesus does not cast us out. Jesus comes looking for us. He comes to us as a good shepherd and he cares for us. Psalm 56 verse eight, I want us to read that as just a beautiful statement of what Jesus is doing here. Psalm 56 verse eight says, the psalmist says to God, you have kept count of my tossings. Put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? There is not a grief or an agony or a moment of pain in our life that God overlooks. He keeps count in his book. He knows every moment of pain and ache and fear and disappointment. And he cares for us. And he cares for us better than our families can care for us. He cares for us better than our communities and our friends can care for us. He is our shepherd. And as every faithful follower of Jesus and has experienced truly from the beginning of time until he returns, if we want to follow Christ and we want to obey him and we begin to grow in boldness for him, we will experience some measure of being cast out. Jesus says, woe to you when all men speak well of you. Remember, 
Jesus was cast out. We follow a man who was publicly and unjustly crucified. Remember Joseph in the Old Testament. He was re- rejected by his brothers and rejected and, and sold into slavery and rejected by his master there and was in prison. And though all rejected him, God had not left him. Remember the prophets. There was hardly a prophet in the Old Testament that wasn't killed because they were faithfully following God. Remember these disciples. Every one of them was murdered but John and John was literally cast out on an island. To follow Christ is to experience some measure of being cast out. But I want us to remember this truth can't forget this truth that Jesus Jesus experienced the greatest casting out there could be because on the cross as he became sin for his people he was in his flesh cast out of the very love and intimacy and fellowship with his father. He cried out, Father, why have you forsaken me? And on the cross and in his flesh, Jesus was in a real way rejected, cast out, not just by Judas, not just by his disciples, not just by humanity, but by his own father. He became sin and experienced what it is like to be cast out and experience the wrath of God so that you, Christian, if you have come to Christ in faith, you will never be cast out. You will never be cast out of the presence and the love of God. And no matter what you experience in this life, no matter what people do to you, It is well with your soul. Jesus has not cast you out. And by his spirit, who is indwelling your very body right now, he is with you and will never leave you or forsake you. Now, the third evidence of the work of God in someone's life is simply worship. Worship. Let's pick it up at verse 36. He answered, Who is he, sir? Referring to the Son of Man, that I may believe in him. Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. And that word worship, proskuneo, it means to bow down or even to prostrate yourself in front of God. And so this man worships him. And I love, we see this progression. In verse 36, he refers to Jesus as sir, sir. But in verse 38, as Jesus reveals who he is to this man, he says, Lord, this man 
who didn't yet know Christ in his fullness when it was revealed to him, said, Jesus, you are my Lord. You are my master. I am yours. I am your slave. You are my master and I worship you. And he fell on his feet in worship. And when we behold Jesus and the work of God is in us and the spirit is revealing who he is, there is no other response than belief and worship. And so this man falls on his face like we see so often in the Bible when people experience the very presence of God and the majesty of God. They fall on their faces and they worship. Now, I want you to hear me. That is the chief evidence of the work of God in someone's life. And that is the greatest way God gets glory. As verse three says, this man was blind so that the works of God would be displayed in him. Listen, there was some glory as the man's physical eyes were healed, but listen, those eyes shut again. Those eyes didn't last forever. And there was some glory as this man obeyed Jesus, but his obedience is imperfect. And there was glory as this man was bold for Jesus. But even in his boldness, he didn't, he didn't know everything he knew and he didn't say everything there was to know. But the chief glory that God gets in someone's life is when they believe and they worship him. John said, this whole book was written so that you may believe. All these miracles I'm telling you about are so that you would believe and worship Jesus. That is the chief end of man. That is why we live and move and have our being. That is why we are created in the first place. And that is where we find our purpose and our joy as we worship Jesus. But now see the sad contrast between a man who, who has God working in his life with the unbelief of the Pharisees. You see, this man was not only healed physically and he could see Jesus with his physical eyes, he was healed spiritually from his spiritual blindness. And so he beheld Jesus and believed and worshiped. But now look at the sad contrast in the, really the warning here as this story ends. Verse 39, Jesus said, for judgment, I came into this world that those who do not see, for example, this man may see and those who do see may become blind. And some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, are we also blind? Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. You see, the evidence of a life that does not have the work of God in it is, is, is someone who refuses to acknowledge their need for Jesus. They can't see their need. They, they think they see all there is to see. 
They refuse to acknowledge they are spiritually blind. And Jesus says, now that you say you see, if you think you see, if you think you have all that you need to know and, and do all you need to do and believe all you need to believe, if, if your hope, Jesus is saying, is in yourself, in your spiritual merit, in your spiritual ability, you're actually blind and your guilt remains. You see, Jesus says in the very opening line of the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the poor in spirit. The entrance into his kingdom is an acknowledgement that we need him, that we're poor, that we're broken physically and more importantly, spiritually, that spiritually we can't see. And ironically, as we state that poverty, Christ says, now let me heal you. Let me redeem you. Let me remove your guilt. Let me justify you by my blood. So I just have to ask, is your confidence in your ability to see, I'm good. Or is your confidence in Jesus and his ability to give you spiritual sight, to remove your guilt, to heal physically and far more important spiritually. May we humble ourselves today, confess our need for Jesus, and would the works of God be displayed in our life as we endeavor to obey Jesus from faith, as we endeavor to be bold for him and ultimately as we worship him, offering our very lives as a living sacrifice for his glory. Jesus, thank you that you open the blind eyes, that you heal, that you give new life. I pray, Lord, that we would, like this blind man, have faith to believe, to obey, to be bold, to worship. And Lord, if any of us have any of that Pharisee pride in ourselves, would you humble us? Would you rescue us? Would you, by your grace, Spirit of God, show us our need for Jesus? Open our eyes to see Jesus and what he has done on the cross for us. It's in Jesus' name, amen.